Welcome to Leading the Future, a podcast exploring the ways in which technology is transforming the workplace and the essential leadership skills required to thrive in this ever-changing landscape. Join hosts Arif Khan and Laura Matthews as they delve into the trends and technologies shaping the future of work, from remote work and automation to AI and the gig economy. In this podcast, we will examine how leaders can help develop emotional intelligence to support their teams, adapt to new working practices, and make sense of technologies without the need for technical expertise. Our guests, including business leaders, entrepreneurs, academics, and policymakers, will share their insights and predictions on how work and leadership will change in the coming years. Whether you're an experienced professional or just starting out in your career, Leading the Future will provide you with valuable perspectives to navigate the shifting world of work. Join us as we create a playbook for the future of leadership. So sit back, relax, and let's explore the ways in which technology is shaping our work practices and leadership skills. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Leading the Future, a podcast exploring the ways in which technology is transforming the workplace and the essential leadership skills required to thrive in this ever-changing landscape. On today's episode, we will be talking to Dr. Naima Pasha. Dr. Naima Pasha is a prominent authority in equity and behaviors. She focuses on integrating human intelligence into a world with artificial intelligence. She promotes behavioral science, emphasizing the importance of debiasing systems rather than individuals to achieve success faster. Her work focuses on creating a fairer society and the equity in the world of work by building a stronger S in ESG. She is a co-author of Future Proof Your Career, How to Lead and Succeed in a Changing World. We're super excited to have her here today. Let's take a listen. So it's so great to have you here today. Um, Obviously, we are really focused on the world of work. Uh, What do you think are the key themes and changes that are affecting the world of work right now? Just as a kind of summary, I know that's a very big question to start with. Thank you, Laura. It's so good to be here as well. Um, There are a few kind of um, mega trends, we might want to call them, that are affecting the world of work. And we've just been through a huge trend with the pandemic, and that's changed our ideas of what work looks like obviously it's changed uh, where we work for many people and in some cases how and what we're working on um so the impact of the pandemic has really been an influential thing about you know on work but also technology the impact of ai a lot of people talking about the latest iteration of gpt3 just as one example how that might influence where we want to go with our work and what that will do with jobs and so on um but in addition to that it's also um the kind of differences that we see in the world the economic changes the cost of living that we see that's pushing us into a particular direction um social movements we've had uh, during the pandemic also we had uh, black lives matter as a major influence on work and that's um whilst people have been working on sort of a diversity agenda for a while it really kind of pushed things out much further in, in looking at how people kind of look at work so I'd say it's technology social impact um, uh, and how organizations through the pandemic are changing how they see work and workers how they see work as well another term that comes up when people talk about future of work and I'll be honest I've done this as well we talk about the fourth industrial revolution 
what does that what does that term mean like what where did it come from and what what do we really mean by that what are the themes coming out of that Thanks, Arif. Yeah, I talk about this when I um, run a class with MBA students, because we do talk about uh, fourth industrial revolution or fourth IR, we'll shorten it down to. Um, so I'll kind of do a little uh, a history going through the the, the um, other three industrial revolutions, where you've got the industrial revolution, and we're looking at uh, steam engine, and the next one is manufacturing. And then the last one actually is around computing, computer power started coming into work. And then we have this one where we're looking at the fourth industrial revolution really around artificial intelligence and different kind of digital technologies and how it's changing work. Um, it's quite interesting when we look at that because we look at these different uh, industrial revolutions and they were quite slow, you know, sometimes taking hundreds of years to adopt and change the way we work and, uh, and society. And this last uh, one that we're experiencing now is moving much faster because of the nature of this technology. And one of the Key lessons, I think, I know you didn't ask me this, but I'll, I'll chuck it in anyway. I think one of the key things that we, so if you look at sort of the industrial revolution of mass production and technology and science leading things forward, uh, and we had factory power coming forward and, we, and that changed cities uh, where people started urbanizing, coming into cities. And we had a whole range of things like, well, we want to get um, products out to people. So transport kind of grew and we can think, well, this is really good because it was because it's part of our history. Um, but one of the things it's done is sort of lay the seed, if you like, around the things that we're concerned about now, such as climate, um, because we're looking at mass production, we're looking at as, as the industrial revolutions, the other three progressed, uh, consumer society, we wanted products when we could, um, transport around the world meant, meant some people would have access to those. Uh, but we've laid this seed around urbanisation uh, and what that means, we've laid a big seed around climate because of what we're using in terms of resources and I think what we might want to consider now and this has to come from governments and senior organizations what seeds are we putting in the ground with the fourth industrial revolution when we look at ethical AI or where, how we want to take things further in that space what kind of society will we create um, if jobs are going I think a bigger conversation and then perhaps legislation should come through just to follow up on that a lot of how we work even like the idea of a five-day week and sort of nine to five type that all comes from the kind of the industrial revolutions of the past doesn't it yes exactly and i did a piece of work at, uh, at handy business school um on the four-day week which is a great piece of work to to do because what it meant was looking more closely at the five-day week um, and the historians will, will tell you that the five-day week and the two-day week off um, started at the early part of the last century uh, when manufacturing started taking place and it's really interesting because you think um, it's actually unions you know considering what we have unrest rather uh, around the globe at the moment about work and working conditions it was unions that really fought for well we need to have some structure around here let's do this uh, way of working which is two days uh, off as a weekend and then the five days in the workplace and then we got used to commuting to the workplace obviously this is now um, being challenged by our by new ways of working now but so we look, got used to commuting and actually not only did that lead to us thinking about where work happens work started changing then because there was groups of people in organizations uh, which were doing a lot of work and that was they they then needed supervising then there was things about production then there was things that 
around unit of production and how fast you could be and all that kind of thing led to other things. And that actually started giving rise to what we might think about now as modern leadership because that's sort of changing thinking there are people that need to be looked after how can we make this work better how we can make people more engaged who are we as an organization and obviously that has progressed more and more um to this present day but that kind of structure about the five day week and the two day week off um that started back in the industrial changes that we saw uh just at the end of the second world war so we obviously know that covid made people evaluate what they were doing and their professions and kind of what mattered to them in life and I don't know whether part of this is COVID exacerbating it and part of it is separate how do you think people's relationship with work has evolved over the last you know couple of years and decades the decades before what we were seeing as I say was this change into organizations uh, looking differently how work was offered and if I look at it from a career professional practice which is what I've done is that what people focused on a lot more was the skills you brought into the workplace um, for the for the decades before how those could be utilized and how you built up and the decades before there was some period in society where we had um, stability you know sort of 50s 60s time so you join an organization say like a big corporate like BP or something say as a graduate recruit uh, you develop your experience and skills uh, you'd, you'd be given leadership training if you started developing and your commitment was to develop your competence and you'd grow up through that organization and potentially uh, for many people retire there and it was a, you know if you wanted to you know unless there was other things that came up or but broadly speaking there was stability in the workplace for the decades before that changed with the 2008 financial crisis and previously with other financial difficulties in the economy so people started thinking actually I need to sort of be less loyal to my organizations organizations where they keep saying you've got to come and you've got to be loyal you've got to live our values and this still happens now that would be fine if you were given stability and security a pension that you knew you could rely on um, uh, and you weren't going to lose your job. Now that's sort of changing anyway. So people started having their loyalty um, tested. And so uh, people coming out of university started looking at um, pathways differently and they wanted to change their careers anyway. You might have joined as an accountant midway through your career thinking, actually, I'm really interested in becoming a horticulturalist, you know, because this is my ambition. What the pandemic, coming to your question about what that change, is that really compressed that into a tight, space it didn't feel like a tight space when we were living through it but it was a tight space and people thinking I've got more time at home I've got time with my family um, and if they didn't have family more time to do other things some of it was difficult there was challenges around loneliness there was challenges about not being connected to people uh, but the, a lot of people thought what am I doing this for you know is does this really matter to me and uh, as a consequence what we see now is a lot of people not going back into the workplace I've just written a piece on um, the budget uh, for HR uh, World Magazine and the Chancellor uh, of the UK government was saying that we need the over 50s to come back into the workplace because this is a group of people that go I'm not sure if I want to do this uh, and, and offering this sort of skills development uh, because you know in that period of time a lot of people um, had felt that they needed reskilling but what we see now in terms of the broadly speaking is that people questioning the why of the work they do and, and, and how it can, you know, fulfill what they're looking for. I think, you know, people at work, because we've had the pandemic, people kind of think, I'm not sure if I want to put my entire identity and who I am for you, software company, because I also have these other qualities and my purpose is bigger and broader than working for you, especially 
as we as I gave an example of a software company, especially since the economic conditions are still precarious and I need to look after myself. Follow up question to that: Is it that a modern trend then around purpose and and having a really clear mission statement? And I feel like I'm hearing that more in the last few years. Mm. Is is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, absolutely. So what organisations are moving from is that they used to talk about. Um, you join the organization for mission, you know, there's some mission statements and then that moved into value statements uh, and you paste up the five key values. I think there are nine broad values that are around the organizations use, but people kind of limit it quite often to three so you can remember it. And these are valuable. I'm not saying that these, I'm not yeah. saying this with cynicism, I'm saying this with positivity, that you need to join an organization and know that you can flourish and be who you are. Um, what's come further is that people is is going into this uh, purpose of people saying this is our purpose of being. And I think it's come from a lot of people talking about the why of business. Why am I here? Um, and then you think, well, I'm here to manufacture biscuits. And you think, well, that's good. I'm, I'm producing biscuits and that's great. <laughs> Lots of other biscuits are in there. But then people go further. Actually, the purpose of a biscuit is to give people this sense of joy when they're having their morning coffee, this um, a, a sense of like sharing when they're bringing people around uh, and having a, you know, like get biscuits on the table when the family are around. So this is about connection. So the purpose of so people digging much deeper into why uh, they exist. And so purpose is important. Uh, and like anything um, in, you know, in anything really, but if we overplay it, we can go into sort of a danger area. You know, if leaders overplay the purpose in their missions and their statements, what they do. And if they don't walk what they're saying, that's when we get um, people go, I'm not sure if this makes sense. If we just produce the purpose to be part of a marketing campaign and then it's not followed through, then it, it it's a bit uncomfortable. I had a question about leadership and uh, the, you know, the future. So you mentioned right at the start about some of the things that are changing in the world of work as we're moving forward into the future state. We've got disruptive technology, we've got hybrid working, et cetera. From a leadership point of view, uh, what, are, what are people's biggest misconceptions about what leadership is going to look like in the future? What would you say? Um, really interesting. I was talking to some people from uh, other organisations on a debate I was looking at recently around what leadership is going to look like. And um, leadership broadly hasn't changed uh, over the decades in terms of what we want people to be inspired, engaged. We want, you know, growth for the organisation and contribute probably to the growth of the country that we're involved in. Um, what's different now, what we're seeing now is that the difficulties that leaders have, and um, what you're suggesting is that perhaps they're not quite fully grasping, is the complexity of change around them. Um, people talk about the term VUCA a lot, uh, which is about rapid change, very change orientated. Uh, and this creates um, uncertainty in an organization, it creates uncertainty in leaders, uh, certainly uncertainty in the workforce, because we're going through, as we just talked about, uh, recovering from the pandemic, but we've got political changes, and we've got the cost of living, high interest rates, and those things are uh, difficult. What leaders um, are grappling with now is how they give certainty to their seniors and also to their workers and some of the things around purpose are, you know we talked about purpose just a little bit ago is actually is to admit leaders to start admitting actually I don't have all the answers we need to work more collaboratively uh, and we need to work on this as you know maybe with other stakeholders as well because leadership previously is like you had the answers you were, you were very professional um, and you could offer this security uh, but now we're more flexible but we still got the mindset that we needed to know the answers and we need to offer that um, 
I will say, though, actually, workers still find it difficult when leaders don't give clarity the answers. This is what we're going for. This is the situation. Finances are looking like this. We might have to restructure what we're doing. Um, but that is uncomfortable. But how people change from going from certainty in leadership to more uncertainty, but bringing people with them, I think that's the big challenge that people have. That's a really interesting theme, actually. Can you talk a little bit about that? So what's the ideal advice for a leader who is leading in these uncertain times? Like, What are some of the things they can do to help take people along when they might not have all the answers and don't have that certainty? What are some of the strategies or approaches? I talked uh, recently about this with this uh, law firm around managing change and uncertainty. And the organisation, just to sort of put it in concept, put a bunch of different sort of uh, training opportunities up about things like building trust, creativity, uh, looking at sustainability, how you work with different areas. And this is the one that got full, filled up really quickly. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, I'll sign up for that. Uh, and, it, you know, because people are, you know, feeling fragile around having this level of uncertainty um, and also knowing how to navigate it and just before going to sort of the ideas that are discussed and what can go in is that we are also working uh, all of us are working we may have ideas around purpose we might have things about sustainability well-being um, diversity in our organization pushing forward this agenda but we are working in a world that can be working against us so um, we might feel like almost corporate activists and saying this is this is how fair a fair world might be but we have leaders political leaders that are pushing us um, perhaps thinking differently so it's very hard for a leader in that way um, I've actually done some work specifically research work on um, how you can start orientating yourself to change, which uh, I don't understand too academically, but <laughs> this sort of model is called core orientation towards change. And there are four areas within it. So I don't mind sharing that with you. The first one is actually doing some analysis. So it's actually being able to, whilst this is turbulent, you should take time out to step back and sort of really analyze what's going on. So it's almost a traditional approach, you know, to sort of review what's going on, gather the data and understand a little bit more about the process. It gives every leader a chance to take a breather, understand the process rather than feeling that they have to respond straight away. At times they have to, but oftentimes even within that, you can review, reflect, reflect and understand what's going on in the world around, gather the data and really employ your analytical skills. The second one is still be conscientious. It was a trait I looked at as people who sort of plan ahead, um, have this sort of structure to look for, you know, to, to still be results focused. So still think, well, we still want to move to this kind of area. So it's not just let's see what happens and go with the flow, but actually still, we still want to grow this market or we're still looking to do this, still want better engagement, still need to consider the next quarter. And those are things that are important. So keeping those things there. Two other things came up through the research was being able to start thinking, how can I be flexible on here? Having the range of opportunities and being more open two opportunities and that's almost a trait that you could have to, leaders would have to develop because recognizing we're in this turbulent time what are the uh, and change is always tough but if everybody's sort of listening to this and and even with you two thinking about I've been through periods of change and it's been really difficult but it brought me here so change can be one of those things as we know that can be a way of progressing and moving forward and good things come from it but it will only come when we're more open-minded to what that brings and being continually through that and the final one uh, I found was people leaders who have a quality of self-reliance that ability to think you know I understand the qualities I have and that's kind of going back and reviewing the kind of strengths that people have 
this is what's got me through. I have this ability to to move this and then mapping out the kind of areas that would uh, move them forward in terms of their um, ability to handle the change. And these four factors came from me doing a study of two groups, uh, and it was the ones that handled change and moved on successfully. These are the four qualities that the more successful group had. Yeah, so I, I think I heard you talking on another podcast about that. And one of the things was that's that's all brilliant and that's brilliant advice, but it's much harder for people who have encountered difficulties and who have encountered challenges. And I think that comes on to like um, equity in your, your studies around that. Is there anything that you could kind of shed a light in terms of how we can think about that and support others um, and, and maybe be aware of that as we are? Oh, yeah, no, thanks, Lauren. Yeah, no, thank you. And I think that's a really brilliant point. So these qualities, so we have to do, there's this balance that I think that we need to do, the balance of what we need to do ourselves, our qualities, and that's that sort of co-orientation of change model I did. Uh, and, and it showed those people that actually did that, did progress. So it's kind of like, because it's research-based, I think. Oh, good. However, um, I was asked to do a talk for another um, for a tech firm to say to just to illustrate exactly what you say um, uh, to talk about for women International Women's Week, uh, International Women's Day, to do a talk for women to progress in their organisations. And they said, uh, you know, when you come and talk about imposter syndrome, building confidence, and you know, building themselves and those qualities that we have. And I said, of course, I'd be really delighted to do that. But can you tell me a bit more what the organisation is doing to enable Enable women to do well in the workplace and then they said no because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really started it uh, and but they're looking much more about you know this could be a good way because they did notice the data um, is that many organizations we know normally have a, like a 50 50 gender split when when in, when you know recruitment stage um, but as they move up towards leadership that drops off and there's far fewer women in in you know senior leaders uh, positions so um, I think what you're saying there, and I and something I feel really strongly about is that, of course, you know, say I went and did this and we did like six weeks of imposter syndrome and confidence building and and great things like that. And, and the people kind of really started being able to. And, and I was asked specifically to help people speak out at meetings, help people speak out to get the right projects. And I think this is great. Uh, but the pressure and the onus is entirely there, entirely on the women's shoulders. None of it appeared to be with the organisation saying, how are we going to do something which is fair and equitable to enable people to be um, to progress fair and equitably? They uh, and it's not just about speaking up. It's about speaking up when you're being discriminated against. What kind of discrimination is going on um, and what kind of misogyny is going on? And that's just on gender. The work I did, as you linked to, was the equity effect report where I looked at race equity in more detail, um, really highlighted the level of abuse and discrimination that people are still experiencing in UK businesses. And, you know, that's just going to, and what I found in that research, not that not only did it harm the people that were on the receiving end of it, but it harmed people who had to see it. So even if they're not from a minority group, just watching it made people feel awful and dis and started them thinking about disengagement with the organization. So, it's got to be this sort of like, yes, of course, we have responsibility to develop ourselves as workers and look at these qualities and skills. But we really, 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 another really, um, as organisations need to understand that if we're looking at debiasing, we need to debias the system more than we need to look at how we debias individuals. 
Thank you. Thank you. So I had, I had a question which is around like the nature of work and in terms of hybrid working and things like that. So there's been a few few different extreme views even, even today, right, in the modern day. We've kind of had COVID lockdowns have ended. People have started to come back to work. Some companies are enforcing it. Some companies have uh, every Tuesday, Thursday, you're in the office. I think Elon Musk was like at, at Twitter, you know, you need to return to the office. If not, I've uh, considered that your resignation accepted. So a whole range of different responses. What do you think? Where, will we, where are we going to end up with this? What's the model going to look like going forward? And then based on that, how can leaders uh, you know, adapt to, to what that new, I hate the term new normal, but what, what, what things are going to move to after, after we kind of agree on a model? I know I, I kept I kept using new normal all the time. I thought I must I must do something. Then I started to go next normal. Let's do that. <laughs> so it's like it's the it's the term. So a, a prediction is um, put um, is that we are going to stick with flexible work despite uh, some leaders saying perhaps not. I'm going to say flexible work is here to stay. Just underneath that headline, going on the equity effect, the race equity research report um, I did, which was done. Um, during the pandemic, uh, during lockdown, is that amazingly what we found is one of the things that we found around equity was that women, ethnic minorities, people with disabilities, and a range of different workers actually really found that being on video calls was a fairer way of working because there weren't the secret comps maybe not secret, but quieter conversations in corridors, on the golf courses, in the pubs, people saying, oh, let's go out for dinner and discuss this, you and I over this project. So those didn't happen. Everything happened on a screen. And there was, you know, people felt there was fairer access to projects that led to promotion. So one of the things around the, the pandemic is that the use of this kind of technology of video technology enabled people to have a sort of a slightly leveling the playing field, slightly leveling it. And also the other thing that they had, because we're all literally an equal on a screen. Um, so we weren't at the back of the boardroom, you know, having to put a hand up in front of people. People felt it was a little uncomfortable to begin with people on mute not putting video on and all that kind of stuff but actually it was still fairer people could could speak more fairly when I did a review and this is sort of followed up as well uh, about people going back into the workplace it was these groups that felt um yes we want to go back to the workplace but looking at hybrid because of the fair nature and also the blend in work the people that most wanted to go back into the workplace were senior white managers male um and actually you do see a lot more people saying um ceos saying you need to be back in the workplace because their construct of what showing up for workplace literally showing up at the workplace and that shows a level of showing commitment and i think that's almost um a bygone era of way of thinking we do need to be in the office for certain things you know we need to be partnering we need to be firing off things there's fast moving work there's things that need to be done in teams face to face younger younger graduates coming into the workplace need to come in learn social culture of the workplace there's a lot around what i'm not saying we, you know but it will be a blended way CEOs that say that some of it, um, and as you mentioned, Elon Musk, but there's a whole bunch of people. Some of it is, I think, around ego. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And and linked to that kind of on the same thread, really, is that it's it's this technology that enables us to be able to work remotely, etc. Like, is technology an enabler or a hindrance when it comes to things like work-life balance? What's your view on that? How can we avoid challenges around work bleeding into everything we do? 
The um, work we did on the four-day week and uh, different generations in the workplace showed that younger generations wanted uh, a work-life blend um, because, and they did see work as social glue, so they're quite a group of people do want and need to be in the workplace, um, not least because the social aspect of it. So work-life blend is, you know, important and um, and people being able to pick up work a little bit later, say if they've got family and um, they want to attend to their caring responsibilities, to children or older people, whoever they're caring for, and then think I'll pick up some of the work later. Um, so this flexibility that's that's good and obviously technology can allow us to do that. The caveat or the not even caveat the question around that is also well-being um because there's a lot of research to show when we don't put boundaries around work uh, it will affect well-being because we feel we're always at work um we will always think um first thing we do when we wake up is check the emails uh check emails for going to sleep um we emails perhaps coming through a weekend from the boss because they feel uh this is the time i could even if the boss uh, you know the, the senior leaders think you don't need to respond but this is the time you know i can i can send them out there's people will ex people feel a sense of i need to respond otherwise i won't look perhaps as engaged as i could do and this could affect my identity and how i progress so yes it can uh, it does both as you said uh it enable or hinder it, it does both it can enable us to be more flexible enable us to reach uh um, places that we couldn't before like like colleagues and teams um around the world we can we don't need to get on a flight or a train for every meeting um and, and so that's a good thing and we can be more flexible uh it can hinder because it can connect us too much <laughs> to work and that um and the responsibility for that has to come from the leadership culture to know that actually we're not expecting you to reply. In fact, we won't be emailing you at the weekend. You see people putting that as an email. I, lo I love what you said because you see leaders being told to put that as an email signature sometimes to say, it's convenient for me to send this at that time. I don't expect to reply, etc. But I think you nailed it by saying there's an implicit feeling from a worker that if my boss or whoever has an email, yeah. I need I need to reply, or someone else replies first, then it won't look won't look as good, etc. So one of the big things that organisations and leaders are talking about is burnout at the moment. There's such high levels. Yeah. Is, uh, so uh, it's uh, um, and and outside that, people are talking about there's an epidemic of mental health and you know well-being and things. So I think it's really incumbent on leaders to start considering um, how work practices can enable better work. There's lots of research and data to show on people have better practices they're better engaged and actually productivity goes up and that is one of the big things around the four-day week which a lot of people are talking about at the moment and the research that we did it actually reduced uh sickness rate and increased productivity while we squashed work down into four days um not right for everybody but that's what we found in our data and i think all the the, the pilots that are pe people are doing at the moment yeah. is that people need breathing space but because we've got the two things sickness goes down productivity goes up and growth goes up so it's a strong business decision not to burn your staff out yeah totally and I guess there's something else there about as people are virtual and connecting kind of virtually um how do we help people to build empathy and to build that kind of support especially if we're not in person I think there should be some in person where we can, because mm -hmm. actually around the research on building empathy, uh, and I did another bit of work around building that, and it sh uh, and I found that what's what's really needed to do that is uh, compassion, um, 
creative creativity and collaboration those three c's it was easy to put it into three c's but that's the kind of thing so we do need that and the research that i looked into around that is that um the screen doesn't enable us to doesn't make that human ability to make the contact the same it's actually face-to-face -face eye contact can release hormones that the oxycytine and other things to so sort of make us feel more connected literally more connected and actually the next one down from that is phone calls and there's some research done that and i don't know if you feel that you know you're doing lots of video calls and things and you're seeing the person but actually somebody gives you a do you mind if I give you a quick ring, they'll say, and then you go, oh, this is quite nice having a phone call. So, um, and people found that actually phone calls can be more, um, you know, create more empathy. It feels more personal. So the things around that we need to do is that I think some, you know, we need some face-to-face -face work so we can connect differently um, and then actually work together collaboratively on things so that's how we start building empathy when we say i'm working on this project i'd like your ideas can we discuss this and actually we're because as humans we're quite we like to help and we like to support uh and you know we can work on something together that can enable us to do things uh or you can say uh, i'm looking for ideas on you know the creativity piece is important um so looking you know so you get people around brainstorming so a little bit away from the kind of day-to-day -day work that can enable empathy to build and as i say the other one is compassion and amazing <laughs> amazingly i find this really strange i've been to a few things where um where leaders and managers are being told to say to their teams how are you <laughs> how was your day how yeah. was your weekend how's your cat oh you know <laughs> these things and i've thought surely people do that uh but it, not maybe enough or not at all is what what the research shows and people kind of encourage to do that so what's important in the virtual thing is to have that kind of what you'd have in the five minute um chat around um, the water cooler or when you grab my coffee is a bit more of the formal and and also showing that you're kind of connected to them so asking people about how the weekend was and how they are and that kind of thing builds that builds the compassion side of things excellent i've got a question for you and it is onto one of my favorite topics or something that's always top of mind for for me as well which is around one of the disruptions you talked about earlier was artificial intelligence and how that's gonna you know what's work gonna look like in a world where more and more things are automated I think the chat GPT disruption has been so interesting because previously we thought it would be um, the, the lowest skilled jobs that would be disrupted with automation. Now we think knowledge workers potentially being disrupted as well directly with some of the capabilities there. So in terms of that disruption that's taking place, as that disruption happens, what are what does it mean to be a really good human worker? What are the skills that are going to be more important in that future? You know, it probably isn't now just about memorizing facts and being really good at sums and calculations. What are some of the key things that we'll need to be good at going forward? That's an interesting thing you talk about. What's it going to be like? We're still it's still evolving. You know, where where we're going with AI as I as I talk about in the book, we don't know fully what's happening, but there's enough indications to show that work will start changing. Um, and of course, we looked at um, professions that were less skilled, thinking that will go soon. I think the World Economic Forum yeah. did yeah. a big piece on that um, and what work will look like in the future. And actually, the World Economic Forum also did a piece on what's going to happen is work will change to have more green jobs, green skilling, because we're going to have this sort of challenge around sustainability and so on. Um, but looking at ChatGPT uh, three and four that we see is that that is impacting work um, that is around uh, professional work, if yeah. you like. 
uh, and how that's taken away and I, I've been using it as well and it's kind of like I'm a bit wow <laughs> this is it and I remember starting looking at um at this kind of technology um uh, a, a little while ago looking at um uh, to see how it was going to start and we did a big piece of work again in Henley looking at how chatbots are going to start changing us and what we found then is that we thought 12 days of work is going to be taken over by um this form of technology um uh, natural process and language looking at um you know all that kind of work coming through and 12 days will come back to workers because the ai will be using it in various different forms and then that will give us the 12 days back and i always and i used to talk to students say well what would you do in this time what would you do so would you go people go i'll go on holiday or i'll do this and i think what we'd need to do is to do reskilling i know it sounds really boring like you've got these 12 days back what do you need to do and the skills because routine is still routine Sorry, I think it's exciting to be GPT-3 and 4, and I'm still kind of looking at it thinking, I cannot believe it's just done that before my very eyes. Um, but it's it's a bit like in the olden days, if I may, like a bit of a web crawler, and like go out and, and grab all the bits and pieces that um, some of the old older machines used to do, and then present it. It's just presented beautifully now, the grammar and the text and everything is lovely, and images that will come out. Um, so that's good. But that content's got to have come from somewhere. Um, and that requires creative minds. It requires collaborate. Those three C's in, again, it re requires creativity, requires collaboration, also requires compassion because we're thinking about humans. And that it, it could almost eat itself up because it's churning out this content. And if people aren't creating the content um, through insights at the moment, which can only be human, then I think, you know, there's still a stronger place for human development. So what we need to focus on is those qualities, creativity, compassion, and collaboration. Thank you. Finally, did you want to share with us a bit about your book and, and let our listeners know where we can get hold of that? Thank you so much, Arif. Yes, I've I co-written a book with my colleague Shahina Janjuhu Jivraj, who's now in HC in Qatar, actually. So she's doing great things over there around women leadership. And, uh, and we wrote this book really looking at all, all the things we've discussed, actually, the impact of changes in workplace. It's called Future Proof Your Career, um, and it's available in all good bookshops and on Amazon. Fantastic. Dr. Naima Pasha, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been really good. Thank you. So that was our chat with Dr. Naima Pasha. Laura, what did you think? Oh, I thought she was amazing. Just the perfect person to have on talking about the future of work. She's such an expert. And the thing that I really liked that she touched upon was just all the complexity of change. It's hard to, it's actually hard to overstate how much change there is going on and how much that this affects people. Uh, so that's something that I definitely took away. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that. I also felt like a lot of the times when she was talking about complexity of change and uncertainty, it felt like she was sort of talking to me directly. <laughs> She's like, you're in the situations when you're not really sure what's going to happen. There's a lot of things moving around. There's a lot of unknowns. And, and it sounded like, you know, for me, it was it made it clear that there's a lot of businesses and individuals and leaders who are having to deal with shifting in technology the way we work people being reintegrated if you like back into office life when maybe they haven't done that before so uh, yeah I agree what a fantastic guest to have first and you know you know we have already sort of asked her if she will come back at some point as well so yeah we'd love our listeners to share with us what questions you'd like us to put to her next time as well when we get her on the show 
Any last thoughts, Laura? No, just uh, super excited for the next episode. She was great and kind of reinforced that there are amazing experts available that can talk on these topics. And I'm just super excited for the next episode. Great. Join us next time on Leading the Future. Bye.